Hello, vinyl lovers. I'm Antonio Staropoli. And I'm Chris Myers. And you're listening to Taste of Vinyl. Maybe next time you should take a little longer to say your name. I thought you took a little long to say your name. uh, I I thought. Welcome to the Lathe Cut Edition. Shut up. You shut up. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome, listeners. We have a very special episode for you today. Our guest is the owner and founder of Audio Geography. Uh, It's a lathe cutting business where he masters and records as well. He's also a singer, plays the guitar. Uh, His bands include Tragwag, Night Witch, and Soft Clicks. Welcome, Tyler. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Yeah, man. We're psyched. We're psyched. So, analog or digital? Oh, don't make me choose. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Well, <laughs> that's part of the fun. <laughs> that is part of the fun. Yeah, they both have their advantages. I mean, uh, sure. end of the day, analog is is uh, what makes my living, and I really do love it. So I, I guess I'll have to go with with analog if we're picking. All right, cool. all right, cool, cool, cool. That's what we you wanted are, to hear. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're definitely you're you're yeah. you're not in the minority when it comes to that. When it, you know when it comes to our, our guests, anyway. Um, <laughs> So first of all, before we get into you personally and how you got into what you do, I'm still kind of fuzzy on what lathe cutting is exactly. So can you just explain to us and the listeners kind of in layman's terms? Yeah, definitely. So every record that you've ever seen goes through the same process that a lathe cut record does. Um, The process to make a lathe cut record is exactly the same as cutting a master copy than to be pressed. But what I do with lathe cut records instead is instead of cutting on a soft lacquer disc that's meant to be processed, I cut directly onto a plastic disc, which is sturdy enough to withstand multiple plays. So each copy that I make is done the same way that a master copy would have been done. Cool. It takes a little bit of finessing to get that plastic material to work with the machines. So that's why not everybody does it that way. It doesn't make okay. sense for tons of copies, but uh, right. for small runs, it is pretty much the only game in town to just cut directly to the disc. So I see. And so, because I was going to ask later what the advantages were to lathe versus pressed. Right, so pressed records exist pretty much to make many, many copies. Like you think about the way that they invented that technology was major labels to sell millions of records. Right. That's eventually what that technology turned into. But the advantage for lathe cut records is that you just bypass that whole system. You cut each of them one at a time, so that way you don't have to pay the big money to shell out to the pressing plant. Even these days, pressing plants will do pretty much down to 300 copies you can see at most plants, but that'll cost you anywhere between like 1200 to three grand, depending on your package. So, wow. Yeah, it's a lot to get in the door at the pressing plant, is how I like to describe it. But if you come to gotcha. me and say you have like $200 and you want records, you can leave with a pretty substantial pack of records for That's that cool. small of an investment. Okay. Okay. Cool. That's that's awesome. great to know. 
Yeah, yeah, that is straight up. It's kind of silly, but that is almost like the only advantage (laughs) is that you can do whatever you want and there's no minimum order. Uh, You know, it is higher per piece because the work involved is real time every time. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Thanks. Uh, I think our our listeners are um, just a little bit more enlightened. Thanks to that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We understand um, that you live in Tallahassee, Florida, where your business audio geography is located. Um, but did you grow up there? No, I actually grew up in the center of Connecticut, um, just like playing in bands since I was 12 years old. Just loved doing it. And uh, I had such a supportive community of family and friends there. Like there were three or four bands in my hometown and we'd play like, VFW hall shows like by ourselves and tons of kids would come. It was just like we were in the right place at the right time for DIY as well. Just a lot of cool stuff going on. There's a lot of like weird New England folk punk stuff coming through. And there's a lot of like hardcore stuff going on in Connecticut. And we just like dove head first into all of it. But so I sort of sprang out of, again, like I said, a town of just 20 great musicians. And that's really enough to catapult people all over like i i just started recording bands in my basement and uh decided that's what i wanted to do for college and i went to um i went to umass lowell in lowell massachusetts they have a fantastic four-year recording degree there but through that degree i was like touring and playing in bands and just just loving the musician life and uh wow yeah, I, I saw my friends buying records and wanting to know where to get records made and nobody had the answer but all my classmates Ooh. were recording bands and there was a room of like 20 people who could record a band as good as me, if not better. So I was <laughs> like, these people are all being let out into the world at the same time, but none of them know yeah. where to get a record made. So I'm going to try to figure <laughs> that out. So, so, cause I was going to, you know, we were going to actually get into that with you about, you know, how you actually started on your path into the lathe cutting business and whether or not you know you you opened up your own business at the same time or whether you learned that somewhere else so it sounds like you you were already recording you already had like the experience uh recording bands and then you realized that there was this kind of you know hole to to fill in in this market where all of these bands that you're recording are like, hey, like we need a record, like we want, you know, this is great. Like we've recorded this, but now we want something that, you know, we want a record. So like <laughs> you you realized that there was an opportunity there. Yeah, that was absolutely it. Like even the people in my class, like I would do as much as was possible, I would sort of steer my classwork into the record industry, like the pressing industry and packaging and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and my classmates were like, damn, records are really cool, but like, how do you <laughs> really make one? Really expensive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Okay. They, so yeah, there's, there was a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, ignorance when it came to that. Yeah. And these were my fellow recording engineers. Like they wow. didn't know any better than anyone else. So I was like, wow, if these people who are extremely learned in the recording industry don't know where to find it uh, and right. don't really have any more resources than anyone else, I could fill that <laughs> right. gap knowing these people. So. Right. How, how long ago, ru- like roughly, was that? I graduated in 2012 from UMass Law. Oh, okay. And is that when you started audio geography? Yeah. So basically the very, very beginnings of 
the record part of audio geography were my internship uh, the summer after my senior year of college. Um, I was required to do an internship, and I, again, really wanted to steer it towards the vinyl sector of the industry. And uh-huh. uh, I just sort of sent feelers out everywhere. I saw who was making records, uh, who was cutting masters specifically. Uh, I had my heart set on trying to go to Chicago and get Bob Weston because uh, he was a UMass Lowell alum as well. Uh, okay, cool. Bob nice. Weston from, uh, was he in Mission of Burma? Don't fact check me. But uh, he runs. <laughs> We're fact checking you. Yeah, yeah. He's part owner <laughs> of Chicago Mastering Service, who had just gotten a lathe and moved up to cutting lacquers at that point. And I was like, okay. I've done that. I was like, oh, he's an alum. He's totally going to answer. He never answered. Uh, <laughs> but that's chill. That's totally chill. I ended up in the best place possible. I ended up um, in Southern Connecticut with uh, an electronic musician and DJ whose name is Dietrich Schoneman. Uh, he runs Complete Mastering in Bethel, Connecticut. And um, he was, I met him through the internet forum for lathe cut engineers called the Lathe Trolls Forum. He was like, he saw in my signature that I was from Connecticut and he was like, where are you from? I was like, oh, I'm in Massachusetts going to school. And he was like, oh man, I went to UMass Lowell for one semester because they have a good hockey program. Oh, we, just, wow. we hit it off. We nerded out. Yeah, you guys out. clicked, huh? Exactly. And he's just like the best, most helpful dude I've encountered in this whole endeavor. He That's set awesome. me up with gear. In the internship had certain parameters, essentially that I had to be like there a few days a week and doing independent work, and it had to be reviewed by the professor back at UMass. So Dietrich, like, you know, he pulled out all the stops. He was like, yeah. I'm going to pick up this machine for you to try to learn how to do lathe cuts on. And wow. we, went, we went down to New York City to visit Al Grundy, who is a, he's since passed away, but he was a traditional like lathe technician, one of the very, very few. Um, he would fix and resell Neumann cutting systems. And previously he would do that uh, for other, I believe, Gotham Audio. I'm a little hazy on exactly what he was selling, but it was all pro level gear, super high quality gear. Nice. So he came across a, a more affordable lathe. He sort of, it wasn't his focus. So he sold it to Dietrich for a pretty good price. And we just went down and got it. That was my internship, learning how to cut wow. on the uh, Presto 6N a few days a week in Bethel, Connecticut. So you've been doing this for about eight years. Yeah, yeah. The last job I had was during that summer, I worked in a deli. <laughs> as a vegetarian <laughs> nice. nice nice um so okay you start this business tell us about like what that process was like because obviously you had to learn how to use you know this this lathe cutting machine um you had to like learn the ins and outs and and all that stuff did it kind of just unfold on its own where you started small selling records to bands that you recorded like tell tell us about that whole process yeah for sure um so i had gotten a lathe cut record made within the previous year and it was not good and that <laughs> that company who had made it um had since folded under nefarious circumstances like after stealing some money or whatever i don't know i don't wow i don't know that was common in those days because lathe cuts like they blew up during that period of time and folks right. like were just not charging enough money. They didn't have enough material on hand. 
So they would pre-sell tons and tons of records. This happened more than once. I don't wow. mean to speak ill of them. It wasn't their fault. They just didn't know how popular it was going to be. Um, right. So they yeah. they like sold the whole bunch during like a yes. pre-sale, yes. and then just didn't have the resources to fulfill those orders. Yeah. That had and happened that was twice in 2010, 2011, and I was wow. aware of it. And I said, I can do better than this, but what I have to do is charge more money. They were charging like three dollars, and like wow. when wow. I came in. I was like, wow, I have to charge $5.50 for what they were charging $3 for in order to make minimum wage. Like, wow. They just were not, they just didn't realize how popular it was going to be. So I knew a little about a few lathe cut companies, and I was like, all right, I'm not going to do it that way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you learned from their mistakes, right? I did. I did. Um, and that was from being on the forum and from having researched those companies before I even thought about starting my own. Um, but like I said, yeah, Dietrich really set me up fully. He was, he was pre-buying my plastic for me. Um, early on I was getting the blanks cut at, at a local CNC manufacturer cause there was no place to physically buy blanks, the plastic blanks. Man. I would drive wow. to Northern Connecticut cause they had a better price than Southern Connecticut and then <laughs> drive an hour back with four by eight sheets in my Subaru and then I'd bring Jeez. him to the local uh, CNC guy who was a sign maker and he would cut him into circles for like way too much money now that I think about it. Because <laughs> their base price is like probably... $75 a sheet and I can only get like 30 or so out of a sheet. So it was like $2 just to cut it out. That's crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy crap. He probably realized like, oh, here's a young guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's new to this. He I was can charging just... me half price even of his usual sign makers they make bank anyway wow wow <laughs> it was it was an unusual ask for sure so i eventually stepped right. up of course i'm getting off track but i stepped up uh, to making my own <laughs> blanks at like uh, at a community workshop in connecticut is like a place where they had a bunch of 3d printers and like you could take electronics classes and uh you know innovators and entrepreneurs would come to speak but they had a cnc machine there so I just paid a monthly membership fee and I could go and use the CNC machine anytime I wanted. Oh, wow. Cool. So that way was cheaper. Yeah, way, way cheaper. <laughs> and plus I could make as many blanks as I had for my orders. Right. So that changed my life for nice. sure. I got totally so low, off track. What was the question again? <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> I don't even know what the question was. I just so had, it, yeah, had to go that way. I mean, we were talking about how like, you know, how you really worked up to getting oh, into yes. that business and like, you know, how that like lathe cutting specifically that you got into. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause when I first started out, I had friends who like all were trying to buy records for their band or they could only buy, they could only afford to do like one LP release every few years rather than press everything they released. Right. Um, yeah. Cause my friends bands were, they were popular, but they, they were still trying to figure it out. Like I came from this scene, like I'm going to drop a few names because I got to be that guy, but they, Do it. they came from this, this emo scene, like the, mm -hmm. um, the emo revival bands. Like I grew up with people in, uh, my heart to joy, uh, the world is a beautiful place. I'm no longer afraid to die. Uh, self-defense family. I grew up with people in those bands and they were like, on labels at the time, but not for every release or they wanted to do a tour seven inch or something. Those were the first right. records I did. 
Like, nice. Yeah. The first records I did that that people actually saw and were like, "Dang, this is cool." Was the "World Is a Beautiful Place" uh, gig life lathe cut? That was the first one that people were ever like giving attention to. Sick. I would not be here today if it weren't for that specific record. So that's awesome, man. That is really cool. Yeah. I I wish I I wish I knew the bands that you were talking about because I I I know Chris is also a fan of emo, but I'm yes. definitely a fan. Um, I just think that, and and I'm just gonna just like side note here when emo was like popular, I was so into metal that. I did listen to a few emo bands here and there, but I think I wasn't giving myself the opportunity to really open myself up to yeah, that it's a world. Dirty word, I get you. And, <laughs> and it shouldn't yeah. be. It's so it's so fucking stupid that it's a dirty word. It's it shouldn't be. Like uh, I'll say it on this podcast, like for you know everyone to hear. Like I love emo music. It's fantastic. I yes. still think I still think that it is relevant. I still think that is a it is a viable form of music. There is to me just such a raw I can't even it's just like a raw powerful sound um and I love it. So if anybody wants to think that emo is a bad word, if anybody wants to, you know, bust my chops for listening to it, then, you know, cool, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, but I mean, um I kind of want to get into yeah your actual your taste in music okay because obviously i don't think that you'd be doing what you're doing and we've talked a little bit about uh, we've talked a good amount i should say about your lathe cutting uh business but i want to know a little bit more about your vinyl listening habits and like how you were actually introduced to vinyl yeah sure um so i again played in a bunch of bands in high school and one of the bands was kids that were all older than me by two years, so they could drive before I could, and they would take me around to places, and one of the places was the record store in Wallingford, Connecticut, called Red Scroll Records. Um, cool. And we, nice. liked, we liked punk stuff at that time, and I still do, but especially, like, we were very enamored with, like, Against Me and Smoker Fire and the Lawrence Arms, those sorts of fat wreck bands. Uh, that was just that was just the thing. I could not get enough of that stuff, and um, DIY bands too. And and a lot of the Connecticut ones were pressing records. I was just like, wow, this is incredible. Like I was 16 years old when I bought my first records. Again, most of them were Fat Wreck stuff, like the Loved Ones. Oh man, a very oh, early man. favorite band for me. Um, Start writing all these bands down because <laughs> yeah, like I just feel so your life, out of man. the loop. They well, will change I'm your so life. out of the loop. I think Chris, I think you listen to a lot more of of those bands than I yeah, ever did. I, I mean, if those names don't sound familiar, I mean, no effects absolutely should. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I mean, definitely heard them, heard of the, them, all that. Yeah, yeah. They're like the granddaddy. Also, yeah, okay. and fat, fat. And Mike. I've heard of Against Me. You know, yeah, I yeah. um, I've listened yeah. to them. I actually. I don't know if this is sacrilege to say, but like Rise Against is is like a band that I've listened to, and I've said this in another podcast. Great musicians, uh, very talented. If you told me about you know what they sounded like, I would probably be like, oh, that sounds really cool. But I'm just not into them. Then I listened to Against Me, and I was like, 
oh, this sounds like like a better Rise Against. <laughs> like this sounds right. just like a, a more raw. I think maybe that's my problem with, with Rise Against is that maybe they just are a little too polished for me. You ever have that thing? I've had this too in my life. I was like 14 years old. I heard anti-flag and I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. And then like <laughs> yeah. five years later, somebody showed me Lifetime and I was like, no, wait, this is the coolest shit ever. Like <laughs> that's what I thought anti-flag was. And I go back and listen. I'm like, nah, not quite. And I listen to Lifetime still. And I'm like, this is like, it's like Goldilocks, like the perfect porridge uh, temperature right. level for me is lifetime uh-huh. exactly <laughs> just like the blistering fast tempo the melodies there's some chugs there's singing people are stage diving lifetime there's, yeah lifetime they're from okay, new jersey up, up. that's like my wow. goldilocks band just like flawless everything they've ever done it's my speed it's speaking right to me so i feel you like that's you cool. listen to rise against you're like this is good okay but not not me. It's not f- for me. Yeah, mm. I and I really do think that it's it, it is the the polished sound, and w- which you know, again, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. There's definitely bands that have a very polished sound that I'm really into, but I think for for that kind of music, I think having a bit of like some rough edges is a, a little bit more appealing to me. Um, totally. So yeah, so against me, it definitely um, very very cool band in it, and it reminded me of Rise, just a better Rise Against. So I, I hope I didn't offend anyone by saying that. Um, <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, I mean, from there, like pretty soon after high school, listening, I, I met friends at college, and like I had done a solo project throughout high school, which like was incredible to be honest. Like just being able to to like actively do DIY in my life. I didn't, I didn't really know what I had at the time, you know, like I would listen to these against me records and they'd sing about, you know, like acoustic guitars and parking lots and, you know, your friends at, at midnight or at 2 AM or whatever. And you're just like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder if I can do that. (laughs) Like, can we just do that? And I would book shows at like random coffee shops and like my friends would buy my CDs for $2 that were in Ziploc yes. bags. Uh, like, <laughs> That's it's fantastic. Just like, I just, I stumbled into it and I was like, this is the best thing ever. And I'm doing it. Like, it's the only thing I like know how to do. And that followed me. Like, that's literally my entire life is just, I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to see what needs to be done. And I'm just going to do it in the only way that I know how. And now you have this business that you've been running since 2012. Yeah. And that you've been, you know, slowly building. And, you know, you've got a bunch of bands and, and labels that have, have worked with you. So how did you, how did you get these, these bands and, and labels to, to get on board and work with you? It's interesting because a lot of them come from people I know. Like, okay. um, I'll do, I'll do like, uh, I did the self-defense record. I did the world is record. Uh, I ended up doing a hotel year record later on, but a lot of people heard that one because it was their first release after a very, very good album. So it was highly anticipated. Um, that one was the goodness, uh, the lathe cut version specifically. And I think I only got that job because the pressing plant was backed up so I could deliver the lathe cuts in time for their tour. Um, but it turns out that that was a, 
a former roommate of mine's current roommate is the singer of the hotel year. And I was like, great. Well, I know this person. (laughs) And they trusted me to get the order done. It was literally it. Like my old roommate is their current roommate. Like that, it's that kind of stuff. Those those kind of connections are just so, so important in the world of music. And I I think that it, it is a small community. You know, yes, there's a lot of musicians out there, but you know, for just from being in bands myself, like I noticed, you know, like you just you just get to know a lot of people and you start making connections, and it's like there's it's not like uh, what is it five or six degrees of separation? Oh yeah, it's usually six. It's like one degree of separation. (laughs) Like like think of your favorite band. Like there's probably one degree of separation between you and that person because of who you know in the business. So it's, it's, it's great to cultivate those kinds of relationships, especially when you're doing what you're doing. I was spending a lot of time just like trying to get DIY shows and just also booking DIY shows at a very low level, just to sort of foster that community that again, like, yeah. that was my only goal was just to like be a good person, try to help people out in a way that I saw that they could use help and I eventually turned that into my business. Like all these bands can't <laughs> afford to go to the pressing plant because they can't shell out over a thousand dollars at one time. Sure. That's literally the reason I exist as a business <laughs> and like as a person. I just like want to spend time playing music and traveling around so I own my own business. So I could go that's- on tour whenever. Mm-hmm. You know, that's cool. That's, awesome. that's really cool because, you know, that's kind of like the music community at its core, right? I mean, like people totally. who just want to be in, be involved in some way, whether it's play the music or, or you know, be involved in creating uh, a lathe cut or make a pressing for somebody or, or mastering or recording it. And it's so cool how you can find uh, so much support from the people around you because, you know, with those kind of businesses, obviously, like, you know, you got to start somewhere and your friends are usually the first place you look. But then as you go, everybody, almost everybody in the music community is so supportive and and will try and help you out in any way they can. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's what I've found. Like, I'm one of those people who I'm really proud of the fact that I've been continuously running for eight years. Uh, I'm I might be speaking out of turn but i think at least united states wise i'm the longest continually running lathe cut person sick which is very cool to me that's just like the kind of person i am is like i try to be reliable i try to be honest and i you know this thing is working and it's it's you know i've made my living at it since 2012 and i don't want to do anything else like it's this is my goal that's beautiful that you, that really you found that that niche for yourself, you know, that that you're able to do something that you enjoy doing and it gives you the ability and the freedom to still be involved in in music like you are. Um yeah. and I know that you said that you like to be able to help these bands do these things. So I'm wondering since you're in several bands yourself, did you immediately take advantage of your ability to like record, master and cut vinyl. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's like that's Why like not, a duh right? question, right? Here's like, here's a cool who example. Won? Who won? <laughs> yeah, right. I um when I moved to Florida, there was this hardcore band called Night Witch that I had seen them play a bunch, and I was like, oh, this is dope. Like they are pissed. 
They play cool, <laughs> like weirdo riffs, like not, you know, not that glossed over type of hot topic hardcore and not even like black yeah. flag hardcore. <laughs> way to- it's weird. It's not any of those things. <laughs> That's- and I was like, this is so cool. And one of my, one of the people I knew before moving to town played drums in the band and he went off to do his master's degree and they were like, uh, Tyler, do you want to play drums? I was like, yes. First thing we're doing wait, is. Wait, oh, wait, so I don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. But I, we were doing some Facebook stalking. Okay. True. And I, you know, yeah, we saw that, you know, you, you sing, you play the guitar, but there are also many pictures of you drumming. So like, yeah. so you, so you're just a man of many talents. Clearly. You're, you're like Dave Grohl. <laughs> yeah, Did yeah. You, when they, so yeah, when, they, when they approached, yeah, <laughs> nice. When when they approached you, like, did you already play the drums, or were you just like, oh no, I'm just gonna start doing this now? Yeah, I've actually played drums like since I was ten. Oh, um, okay. Nice. Yeah, well, I, I actually well, good so, for you. Yeah, with the <laughs> with the sound recording major, I had to take an instrument, and I was like classically trained in percussion. Wow, uh, so that was my trained. That was my instrument in college. So wow, okay. but I use it now. I well, use it now to play in, in hardcore bands. Me, <laughs> <laughs> I use that. I use that training to play blast beats at 180 BPM. So. All, right, yes. all right, listen, listen. The only reason, <laughs> the only reason that I might sound a little bitter is because I am a drummer, and the only kind of training I've ever really had was I had one drum teacher that was like that worked at like sam ash yeah yeah and that was for like maybe a couple months you know um (laughs) so i'm not classically trained at all i'm you know trained by ear and and i started way late in life so i'm just bitter and jealous that you're probably so much better than me so (laughs) so just yeah it's so a the, it's a compliment. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing I did um, when I joined Nightwitch because uh, they hadn't had a vinyl release yet, and I was like, okay, we're doing that. We're doing nice. that. Um, we essentially just like took all the songs that they had already released, and we are working on writing new ones. But we had one new one, so I was like, let's release like a current discography release. Um, cool. And of course, because I own the company, I could make anything weird that I wanted. And I was like, let's set this release apart by cutting it on a laser disc. Uh, one of the things what? I love to do is at Wait least for a minute. my own projects. That is so cool. So you're yeah. telling me rather than just a regular piece of plastic that you would normally cut yeah. a record onto, you took a laser disc and you were yep. able to do the same exact thing and play it as a record. Yep, exactly. Laser discs that is just so flat dope. plastic, my friend. That's that fantastic. is really dope. Yeah. And that's brilliant. That's and it's brilliant. Mirrored, like, so you look at it and it reflects back at you. It's yes. very cool to look at. That is so cool. I I really want to see what that looks like. Yeah, I'll send you one. That's so <laughs> that awesome. Is, that is really neat. <laughs> they're really fun to do. Yeah. I mean, they they do sound a little worse because they're very old. <laughs> Laser discs are right. very old by now, so they're yeah. a little dry, and the plastic is a little different than like the optimal plastic that he do for sure. the other lathe cuts. But they look incredible. They look cool. And bands that like movies will sometimes order them with uh, labels where you can see through to see what movie it used to be. Oh, cool. Let me yeah. ask you this. I- is that 
so like picture discs, are they all lathe cut? No. Um, traditional like pressed picture discs are two. I think they use flat blanks. Essentially what they do is, um, you know how they do the labels for records? They put the stamper on top, the label, right. the puck, the label, the stamper on the bottom. Right, you right. It's essentially the same thing, but you have stamper, you have clear sheet, and then you have picture A, picture B, clear sheet, stamper again. So they're still oh. pressed, but they're they're pressed with like I believe uh, already formed sheet of some sort. So are they pressed? Okay. So they're are they pressed first, and then the picture goes on top, or no, it's all at the same time? The picture is inside for a pressed picture disc. Is it interesting? Is inside. Oh wow. And then it's, oh, interesting. So it's pressed That's and crazy. the picture goes yeah, in at no, the same time. There's no puck. I don't believe so. I'm not entirely sure. I do know with lathe cut picture discs, the way that we get around it right. is we, it takes up the B side of the record. You glue okay. a picture to the back of a one-sided lathe cut. Right. Okay. That's how gotcha. we get around it. You can also spray paint or I do marble paint sometimes that like water marble paint. On the oh, back cool. side of a record. Cool. Since you have like your own records and they're super different and cool uh, as part of your record collection, what does the rest of the collection look like? And I know, I know that you were mentioning a couple bands, but um, you know, like artist wise, obviously genre wise, we, you know, you're hardcore punk, but um, just rattle off some more, some more names for us so that we can, you know, be educated. Sure. Yeah. It's mostly meat and potatoes. I don't know if you guys are, I think you should leave fans, but there's a record <laughs> skit in there. This guy calls the record collection meat and potatoes. <laughs> it's just me laughing over here. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I would say my favorite stuff is like, I already talked about lifetime and the loved mm -hmm. ones. Those are two New Jersey bands that begin with L that come to mind right away. Um, Sweet. I really like, for hardcore, I really like Minor Threat. I really like this band, Carry On. I really like the more melodic stuff. Defeater is incredible. Um, trying to think. I really like Smoker Fire. I don't think they've ever put out a bad record. Uh, they're another fat wreck band. Cool. Uh, I really love the Weaker Thans. All their All records right. are incredible. Little John K. Samson there. Yeah, his solo records yeah, are dude. very good as well. A little different. I think that too. Yeah. But very, very good. Um, just sort of trying to trying to shout out the touchstones. One of my favorite bands ever is Yellow Card. And oh yeah. That, oh, would, okay. be, that would be the uh they had a box set come out. I think it was 2010, 2011, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um Sick. and that would probably be the records that I've appreciated the most since I got them. Because they yeah. only came out in that box set. So to get a single copy of Ocean Avenue that someone is parting out from that box set is like a few <laughs> hundred bucks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You've anticipated the next question. So oh, good. I'm glad you, good. I'm glad you did that. Um, yeah, we were going to say like what your most valuable you know, record is in, in your collection. Oh, man. Um, let me start by saying... The only bands that I like try to collect every release from uh, the loved ones. And f luckily for my wallet, they broke up in 2009. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, but they had not a whole lot of extra content. I'm, I'm not collecting the lead singer solo stuff 
as fervently, but I do have a good number of those. Um, but the loved ones had like uh, a debut 10 inch, which has like 15 variants. Uh, their LPs have like three or four <laughs> variants and some of them are just screen printed covers, but the vinyl's the same. And those are the pretty expensive. Uh, what else? I'm collecting Jimmy world seven inches. Okay. Um, nice. I absolutely love them. I have all their, not all, but I have my favorite full lengths by them. Um, those are new pressings, but their seven inches are, you know, vintage stuff that came out in the nineties. So oh, that's wow. getting harder to find. And they're all splits with other emo bands like Christie front drive. They're one of my favorite oh. bands of all time. And they just, they get mentioned on every list, but no one actually listens to them, which is totally fine, but they got a split with Jimmy <laughs> world. That's on my list. Um, I'm collecting the postmark stamp series, which is again, an emo collection from the nineties, but they did like little postcards in each release. Uh, the bands on that are like the Get Up Kids, Braid, mm-hmm. Rainer Maria, Ethel Mayserve, uh, Giants Chair. There's a few others I'm probably forgetting. Um, but I really like that kind of stuff. I don't know about most expensive. Haven't haven't really looked in a long time, despite being a big fan of the Discogs app. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure. I don't think any of my lathe cuts would make the grade. There's some test pressings for stuff that I helped press. Um, that might be up there. Some broken world like, media releases. Okay. Nice. Uh, so Connecticut label at the time. Nice. So which one? So you've, so you've mentioned obviously lifetime and loved ones. Uh, Don't make which, me pick. Uh, which I'll say if you, <laughs> if you had to pick, you knew where I was going because there's obviously, there's obviously your most valuable record. But that doesn't necessarily have to be your most your most prized prized record, the one that you love the most. Yeah, or Chris you is, could say the whole collection of loved ones if you want to do that. Chris is a sadist. That's yeah. very difficult. <laughs> yeah. It's very difficult. Because now now you're pivoting. Now I'm being pivoted as well because there's like some of them that I got in interesting ways or oh, other ones. Oh, well, that if are you have just, interesting stories. If you have interesting stories of how you got some of this stuff, we'd love to hear that. Yeah. I do have a signed copy of John K. Sampson's first solo record, which I really love. It was just is like it provincial. Yes. Nice. Yeah. That one is really special to me. <laughs> You're like, how do you know that album? I, I, <laughs> dude, you guys might as well be speaking German to me. <laughs> like I like so much of this shit so, is going over my head. I, and like Chris is like every time Tyler mentions a band, he's like, I see him yeah. smiling and just like laughing, and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'm so out yeah. of the loop. So I have to go. Here's a weird answer because it that's very cool. Here's a weird answer because it has nothing to do with like the inherent value of the record. But I'm gonna have to go with my copy of Goo Goo Dolls' "Dizzy Up the Girl." Ooh, um, all right. Which that's a is, great album. I met and became friends with my best friend based on that album when we were eight years old. Nice. And so later owning that record on vinyl is sort of just like, I don't know about y'all, but I think of owning a record physically as like an homage to its existence, sort of like pairing myself with the existence of that record, carrying it around when I move, you know, treating it nicely when I play it, that kind of stuff. It's yeah, there's a reverence about it 
And so I definitely have reverence for that record. I play it at certain times, like when I need to get pepped up or when I want to think of my friend, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think that's awesome. Absolutely. I think that's kind of a nostalgic album, you know, for many people. I mean, I I think honestly, I mean, it's probably their most popular album, but it's also, I mean, it's my most, it's my favorite album of theirs. It's incredible. So many great songs. Can't really That's such a great. That's such a great way, like such a pers- great perspective on like collecting records. Like that's just such a and and I think that like subconsciously, I've I've felt that way. But when you said it, I, I immediately like I just knew exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, it's sort of like I heard y'all talk about this before, but it's it's the same part of the brain that wants to keep getting tattoos. Like yes. it really is the same collecting part of the brain. Yeah. Um, where like like I've had records that I listened to a lot for one period of time and I'm like, oh, this has entered the period where I have to pick that LP up. Like uh right. there's a band mm-hmm. called Arms Aloft. They're from Wisconsin. They're kind of like a a poppy, punky, really gruff vocals. I heard them cover Jimmy Eat World at the fest in Gainesville, but I hadn't listened to them. And then a year or two later, I was like, let me put on Arms Aloft. Boom, I just hit the stride with it. It was like an everyday thing. I'd put on Arms Aloft. I would just keep putting it on. I was like, yeah, I owe this record, like the ownership of it. Like, I got to pick that up next time I see it. For sure. It's defined that period of time in my life. I don't own it yet, unfortunately. It's still on my want list because I love to try to wait for a physical store that has it personally oh wow okay so you'd rather instead of buying it off of discogs or online somewhere you'd rather pick it up at a yeah at a store luckily there's them. a lot of them in florida that i end up at a few times a year the one in gainesville which is now closed arrows aim was incredible they had all that sort of punk stuff the no idea records releases the fat yes. releases they had all that sort of stuff. So I I was like, it's probably there. If not, Microgroove in Tampa is another favorite. Um, cool. The owner of that store is in the band Pogo, a 90s emo band who's very fest savvy. They were on tour with Jawbreaker uh, cool. two years ago when they did that. So I was like, oh, they might have this fest-centric album. So I was going to wait. You know, now with COVID, I'm not going anywhere at all. So <laughs> yeah, Chris, I... <laughs> I think this having Tyler on is just making me realize like how how just like I don't know out of the loop I guess I am. You, oh, not at all. I am no, but I'm gonna task Chris with <laughs> making a playlist of these bands for me. Oh, since you happen and since it seems like you know a lot of these bands, yeah. Well, I'll and they're tell just you so like out of my reach, I guess. <laughs> like I just don't know about them. The funny thing is, is that, I mean, like uh, a lot of the bands that Tyler's mentioning, but like, you know, uh, the ones obviously that hit me are Get Up Kids and Weaker Thens and, um, mm-hmm. um, and Jawbreaker and, and that sort of stuff. And I certainly will make you playlists. I will say this. You've definitely heard the Weaker Thens before. You okay. probably didn't even know it. Okay. You, Cause you've watched Wedding Singer, correct? Yes. Not Wedding Singer. Sorry. Wedding Crashers. Cut oh. that. Mm. Cut me saying wedding song. I'm not kidding. No, it's, <laughs> cut it. it's yeah. in there. Yeah, cut it. No, I'm not so editing wed- that. <laughs> so at the end of Wedding Crashers, okay. the song that plays as it's they're driving so away long, but- is is like Weaker Than's probably most popular song. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. And 
and um okay. and that's uh off their album i believe uh left and leaving mm-hmm. um but anyway so yeah cool. I, i'm i'm realizing i i know a lot of the bands and uh that tyler knows and uh, i will absolutely make you a playlist because i personally think that you will like at least 50 percent of them <laughs> it's a pretty deep well it's a 50 yeah. 50 yeah there's a deep well it yeah. certainly is okay i like yeah if i like a band you know like i was saying i was 16 i heard the loved ones i just mm-hmm. kept digging their label mates oh next is propagandi oh next oh. is the weaker thans oh next is this and you just get get you just keep going down who's related to them who opened for them in pennsylvania on a tour like what were their what were their old bands like? That kind of thing. Yeah. Just keep keep going. That's that's my my mo is like. How early can I get on this stuff? One of my favorite bands yes. of all time is Ben Nichols from Lucero's first band called Red Forty. Okay. Um, I made myself a lathe cut of their discography album. That was one of the first ones I was doing tests with my new lathe system. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna make a Red Forty LP just for myself. Sick. Nice. That's so cool, man. It's so fun to do that. <laughs> That's that is one of the large perks. I just oh, especially if like a friend puts out an album that's going to be digital only. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make one of those for me. <laughs> now that's like a do, nice gift. Yeah, it's actually, a great exactly. Gift. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Now, if you did now, if you do that for somebody, would you take the digital and master it for vinyl yourself? I'm going to be totally honest with you as. I've heard you guys discuss this a little bit. Uh-huh. I don't I don't necessarily think an album needs to be mastered for vinyl specifically. Okay. Because what okay. what we talk about when we talk about mastering for vinyl is really two things. Frequency response is number 1, which is not that big of a deal. The lathe can handle it. It's just a matter of how much time you're trying to fit on the side can you handle the inherent low frequency response necessary. So often, if you're trying to cut a really long side, you'll have to then manipulate the frequency response a little bit more to fit that longer side because the grooves have to be closer together. Number uh-huh. two wow. is dynamic range. That is right. the most important one. If we're talking, That's the most important, right. If we're talking CDs, now don't get this confused. Don't get dynamic range compression confused with file compression. Those are two separate things. Okay. An MP3 file is compressed because it's a compressed file format, almost like a zip file is. Um, Right. But compression in the audio format, as far as dynamic range, is a different number in and of itself. So Mm -hmm. let's take a C, something mastered for CD, which at the height of the loudness war could have as little as like four to six decibels of dynamic range between the RMS value and the peak value. So like, okay. let's say between your bed of guitars and your snare hit that pokes up above it, only 6 dB. It's not a lot of movement. You're not getting the sounds that you're just not getting the amount of detail that's originally there. You're squashing right. it with a compressor in order to turn it up loud. Most people, literally, a vinyl master is just a more dynamic master. Okay. I have to say, that's that's some great information for anyone who is in a band listening right now that is looking to get their album, you know, pressed or lathe cut on vinyl, you know, that I think that's, that's really good to know because um, maybe a lot of people don't know that about, um, you know, mastering. um, Personally. Yeah. Like personally, (laughs) if you have a CD master that you like, that you don't think is too squashed, 
send that. That'll be perfect. So if your dynamic range is contributing to your sound, let your sound be what it is. Cool. That's what wow. I would say. So I like that. Well, now that we're all, you know, enlightened and, and uh, educated and dynamic everything. dynamic rant. <laughs> yes. Um, let's talk about some of the bands that you've worked with. You, you did mention a few names before. You had a bunch of, bunch of friends that, you know, that you knew that were in bands and, um, you know, they helped you kind of uh, get started in the business. But anything, any noteworthy artists that, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, that was really cool working with them and any like stories you might have? Yeah, let me think. Um, one of my favorite ones is I got introduced to a band that I really love from doing an order for them. Uh, the band is called Plow United. They're from Delaware, I believe. Another fast band. They again had of course a, you do. They had a, a record store day release that was at the pressing plant, and again was going to be late. So I I came in at the eleventh hour uh, to do maybe twenty lathe cuts for a record store day release of just a few of their songs, and I was like, "This is incredible! That was Sweet. amazing!" Just to get. I, I knew uh, the person who I believe was working with the label in some capacity. And he was like, can you do this in time? And I said, yeah. So Plow United was one that I heard from that. And they're like, this is incredible. Again, so you became a fan because you worked. You yeah. just like worked with the band and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah, I loved it. And you just became a fan. That's, I, that's awesome. I ate it up. I was, I really look back fondly on doing that hotel year record the goodness especially because their record before that home like no place is there was like the record of the year for so many sites on 2014 and so two years later everyone had been talking for two whole years what their next record was going to be and it was something that i cut like what an incredible place to be in and i yeah, even man. got you know texts from my old roommate like hey I'm putting your business card in this record that I'm assembling for my roommate's band. And I was like, this is the reason. Number one, it was a great record to do. I love listening to it, even though it was probably the one I did the most times. I listened to it over 300 times. <laughs> uh, wow. And the thing with Lathe Cuts. You counted. You counted. Oh, yeah. The thing with Lathe Cuts is you have to listen in real time to each copy. Like it's happening in the room and you have to be in the room. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I know that song back to front. <laughs> Wow. That one was that one is really interesting. Um one a few times I've made records that people have bought for other people to hear. And one of these other people was Eddie Vedder. Um what? this was really early on. Um Oh my god. A a guy had ordered a record of his brother had interviewed Eddie Vedder in the early nineties just as their hit album came out, but it hadn't really broke fully yet, I guess, or maybe it was about to come out. So he was just a college radio student interviewing Eddie Vedder on a bridge in Ohio. (laughs) And it was a cassette tape of that on the front side. And I'm listening to this interview and I'm like, Eddie Vedder gets asked what band he wants to play with for the next tour or something. And he goes, uh, there's this cool band called bikini kill from DC. And I was like, this is, Whoa, this is cool. I, I did not know that Eddie Vedder would have even been aware of Bikini Kill, let alone wanted to tour with them or play a show. It was like, this guy is 
this guy's great. And he's like, what do you want to do after the tour? <laughs> Eddie Vedder's like, I don't know, man, just like play the club at home that we play a lot, just like for our friends. That's kind of what we want to do. <laughs> and that was the album, you know, Holy that just shit. like blew them up huge. But so that's the A side yeah. of the record. And the B side is live versions of every time he mentioned that interview. Cause th- this guy's brother had unfortunately passed away soon after the interview. Oh, oh man. So it was like a memorial record of the B side is every time Eddie mentioned it on stage, which was a lot like four or five songs. He's like, this song is dedicated to this family who's here tonight. So he's just like, wow. Uh, just like a stand up. Wow, great guy. Yeah, literally, I was like, this is incredible. I learned way more about Eddie Vedder, and I got so much That's respect so cool. for him out of it. Wow, really man. Ha- have you ever had the opportunity to do any kind of like collaborative work between any of the bands and like any of the artists that you've worked with and any of your bands? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I guess in the long term, yes. There's this band, Hears, from Philadelphia. Uh, they're like, a grindcore band basically. Um, and I first heard of them because they were asking around the lathe cut community if somebody could make a 16 inch record. And I was like, Whoa. sure. <laughs> so I just like cold emailed them. Uh, <laughs> but I, I didn't get a response. I mean, I was very new at the time and I could have done it, but it would have been wacky. And then fast forward all these years yeah. later, Rosie, the singer of Nightwitch, who is one of my current bands, uh, she's mm-hmm. a big Hears fan. And we played with Hears on tour. With a, we did like a weekend tour where we did all the Florida dates with Hears and Screaming Females. And, Whoa, uh, cool. It was incredibly cool. And Sick. Hears was like, do y'all want to put out a split seven inch? And we're like, yeah, oh, absolutely. Wow. Awesome. So it came around. Look at that. That's very cool. That so is really you, neat. You, have, you have three bands that you're in. Uh, I mentioned it at the beginning. It's Night Witch, Soft Clicks, and Tragwag. Now we don't obviously we don't have enough time for you to you know go in depth on each band, but you know if you can give us just kind of a brief little description of what each one of those bands sounds like, just to let our listeners know. Yeah, sure. Um, let me start with Tragwag. It's my solo project. I've been doing since I was a kid, like 2006. It started off like that straight folk punk, like against me worship. Uh, but these days it's really just my avenue for doing whatever I want to do like on my own. So it comes out a lot more like clarity era, Jimmy eat world stuff. Uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Anthemic emo stuff. Soft clicks is like, uh, a straight up, um, like paint it black or like lifetime type riffs, like chugs. And, and, uh, I do my best like yelling in that band. I've never done like aggressive vocals before, but that's my attempt at like learning how to do aggressive vocals and like, uh, compose them in an interesting way. Um, cool. We're really new, but, uh, we've done one EP that of course is available on a seven inch. And, uh, I'm interested to see where the next stuff is going. It sounds a little heavier already, which is cool. Maybe a little more New York style than I had originally imagined. But uh, nice. Nightwitch is like a straight up hardcore band to me. Um, and we're, I wouldn't say that we align at all with like the this is hardcore crowd. Um, <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of that. It's most people would call us a punk band, but I consider it hardcore. It's like sort of in the old style, like scrappy, a little more 
lately we've had a little more like D beat influence, a little more of that UK crust type of stuff. Um, Sweet. Nice. Always a little bit of crass influence too. But uh, yeah, Nightwitch is hard to classify. And I think that's what makes that band great. So, and I could say that because I wasn't in it the whole time. <laughs> nice. Sweet, man. Yeah. Uh, so, everyone, check out Tyler's bands. Um, so many. I'm interested. I'm interested. <laughs> I'm interested to hear them. Um, and Tyler, thanks for, for answering our questions. And that brings us to the On the Platter segment of the show. Oh, God, it's so good. Mmm, so good and tasty. Today, we're discussing Alkaline Trio from Here to Infirmary. This is the third studio album from the band and was released back in 2001. Uh, it's actually considered one of the best punk emo albums of all time. Uh, now, I don't personally have this record, but you two do. And I, I am an Alkaline Trio fan, but I started listening when Crimson came out. So for me, um, this, this album was, was new to me. I don't want to jump into what I thought of it immediately, but you guys can go ahead and, you know, um, just tell me, tell me like how you first heard the band or how you first, excuse me, how you first heard the album. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to go first, Tyler, but, uh, no, you go. All right. So, um, yeah. So actually the first time I was even ever introduced to alkaline trio was my older brother, uh, Josh, he had made a mixed, uh, CD that was half alkaline trio and half get up kids. And at the time, I was kind of I was kind of still young and didn't know, like since I didn't know who they were, it was funny to me because I thought it, like it was the same band. Ah, totally. Like, so it being a mixed CD, it just said the Alkaline Trio and the Get Up Kids. So I thought it was the Alkaline Trio and the Get Up Kids, as if it was like you know, as if it was like yeah, as if it was like Tyler Biss, Bisson. And like you know, the Chuckleheads, right? Right. Not not your act, not a band name at all, yeah. but Almost just like sounds like water back, out. just sounds Thank like you. backup your backup band. That's incredible. So, you want to know something very serendipitous? Yeah. I first heard Alkaline Trio on a mix CD that my younger brother's girlfriend gave to him of wow. all songs that was like very dramatic. And the song yes. I'm Dying Tomorrow was on it. And we thought it was the most dramatic song on there. There was like Hawthorne Heights <laughs> and Matchbox Romance. And right. we're like, Alkaline Trio is the most dramatic band. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so good. And you know what? That I'm glad that From Here to Infirmary was my first introduction to that band. Because, okay, so just just so you know, it was Alkaline Trio, From Here to Infirmary, and the Get Up Kids, something to write home about, which is also another great album, which we might get to sometime another time. Um, so I had heard some emo music before, but to me, this was like anti-emo in a way, just because it it wasn't about like like love songs and just kind of like heart heartache and heartbreak. It was like they're drinking and they're cutting themselves and they're like, they're, they're self harming themselves. You know, it was just like the complete opposite of what you would normally think an emo 
uh, album would be, which I, th- which I think is why, um, and I'll get into some facts later, which I think is why fans of that genre at the time and just fans of what they had made before thought that album was not very good. It came under some critical uh, di- negativity and dislike, which is interesting seeing as how it is on the top 50 like pop punk emo albums of all time. That's strange. I mean, when I first heard the full album, which wasn't until much later, I actually heard the song Steamer Trunk because one of my punk friends had covered it acoustic in a basement show in Boston. I thought it was his song. And he was like, no, dude, that's Alkaline Trio. I was like, oh, that's when I finally listened to the whole thing. But yeah, I at that point, I had been a fan of punk, pop punk, and a little bit of emo stuff here and there. And I was like, this is top notch of all of that. It's like very dark Mm -hmm. lyrics, but like very introspective, like self-based. Whereas I thought a lot of the stuff, uh, you know, looking back at that time, because I'd heard it later, a lot of the stuff like around that early 2000s period was outward based. Like if you think about like brand new or taking back Sunday, I didn't like them because they weren't, they were focused on other people and like how much yeah, they well, hated other mm-hmm. people. We're going to, you and I are going to fight. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. We're going to fight. I love uh, brand new. I love taking back Sunday, but I respect, I respect that because you're, you're right. A lot of their uh, lyrical content was very much like an outward kind of angsty yeah. thing. Alkaline and Trio, like Chris was saying, my issues. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Alkaline Trio, like Chris was saying, is just that, but focused inward on themselves. Like, there's lyrics right. in the album that are like that are like talking about like getting a splinter in your finger from a bookshelf and like it's (laughs) it's goofy almost, but the way that they deliver it is so earnest. And I think that's because they come from that um, like Asian man records, like DIY punk thing where they're like, Mm -hmm. essentially we're like authors. We're just going to do this thing. It's not a diary for us. It's like a novel. Yes. They worded it in such a way where it's very poetic. hundred percent. Yeah, like yeah, it could be a, it could be well, yeah, I was going to say like uh what was Oh man, I had some I highlighted some of the lyrics here. I'll have to find them later, but but yeah, so basically it's like yeah, splinter from a bookshelf, but they would say like uh I don't even know. I He talks about yeah. like I listened to it today. He talks about like the wood grain, like blood getting stained in the wood grain or something. Yeah, something like I that. I forget Oh, and one of my favorite lyrics is, um, oh, I wrote it down. It's in Innocent Girl, I think. They sing the same verse twice, but he changes the inflection. I just wanted to put that out there. Uh Uh-huh. It's like verse one and three are exactly the same lyrics, and they have no fear to just repeat the same lyrics. He changes the inflection, and it's really dope. Yeah. So good. Yeah. They are an incredibly talented band. I Like I said, I started listening when Crimson came out and I that is one of my favorite albums of all time. It's a good I album too. Love that album. There is it's just, you know, like lyrically like you said that, you know, it's it's introspective. They know how to paint a picture and there's such like juxtaposition between like the the music and the and the lyrics. It sounds like if you didn't know what, you know, Matt or um, God, I don't know his uh, yeah. Dan. 
Yeah, Dan, if you didn't know what they were saying and you just listened to it, you'd be like, oh man, this is like really upbeat and like really poppy and like really yeah. cool. And then you listen to the lyrics and it's just like just death and fucking demons and like all this like crazy <laughs> shit, like really yeah. dark, like dark, dark shit. And I always thought that that was such an awesome thing because obviously they're not the first band to do something like that. You know, there are so many bands that have that kind of juxtaposition um like the smiths come to mind you know like they've got these kind of like dreary dark lyrics and then you have this upbeat kind of you know happy music behind it and but i don't think that a lot of bands can really do it right or do it justice and alkaline trio absolutely is one of those bands that can do it and they do it right now (laughs) that being said i listened to from here to infirmary and it didn't strike me as well as Crimson did or any of the the albums that came after that. And I think it might just be because of the personal co- connection that I have sure. with with Crimson and and uh, the rest of those albums. It, not to say I didn't like it. I, I did like it. But I also was able to kind of see the formulaic side of the band a little bit more. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, where I'm like, I've heard this song before. You know what I mean? I've. I, yeah. It's like, and I, and it was hard for me to, to really even pick a song that I said, yeah, this is my favorite song on the album. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it sounds like I'm bashing this album. I'm really not. I'm not trying to anyway, because I do want to listen to it more, and I really want to do like more of a deep dive into this album because I think that I could really like it. But just like on the surface, like first couple listens, that's what I'm getting. I'm just kind of getting like, yeah, I've heard this before. And and that's actually, you know, a testament to the consistency of the band. I think mm-hmm. they're able to, you know, produce uh, like you hear it and it's like, okay, that's Alkaline Trio. You know, that's them. Totally. So, so that's definitely a testament to their ability to to do that, to be distinct and and have that distinct sound. Um, but for me, I, yeah, the the album really didn't hit me as hard as I wanted it to. So it's unfortunate, but I am gonna I I promise, guys, <laughs> I will give it another another listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a lot more listens. So uh, let me just say that I personally I love Crimson, and personally, to me. That has one of the best opening tracks, not just for an Alkaline Trio. Oh my God. Just any album. Best overall track for any album. Just the piano and like the way that the way the guitarist just cut in and just it's so, so good. Anyway, incredible. um, Off a little off topic there, but just had to say that. Um, (laughs) I do, I do find that I personally, it, it is about what album you connect with, right? I mean, like, I love Jimmy World. But Bleed American is my favorite album of theirs. And not to say that any album before that or any album after that is any not as good. Is it's it's yeah, I mean like to me they're they're not, but I mean like they all have their their place in my heart. And right. like they have they all are great albums to me, but Bleed American's always gonna be my favorite. Um I don't, yeah, it's I don't no know necessarily contest. why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh so for for me uh, like for Alkaline Trio from Hero Infirmary and maybe it That's is your nostal- album. 
It is. And maybe it is nostalgic. Maybe it is nostalgic yeah. because it makes me think of those times when my brother, I got, I first listened to Alan when my brother <laughs> gave it to me on that mix CD. That strange, like, but beautiful mix CD. Yeah. And I listened to it nonstop. And those two bands in particular became possibly my favorite emo bands. And it's funny because they are, to me, polar opposites. Same genre, but one talks about, let's see. Uh, actually, I did find I did find a lyric here. Yes, read it's, them. Uh, one of them, like one of them is from uh, like everything that you could never say would never matter anyway. I took a hammer and two nails to my eardrums long ago. Before that steak knife took my eyes, I looked up into the sky <laughs> for the last thing I would ever see for the last time that I'd cry. Just great shit to me. Really good. Yeah. Just so yeah, poetic. That's awesome. <laughs> it just gets so much imagery from it. <laughs> it's strange because like if the singer from Hawthorne Heights sang that, I would be like, this is trash. But when the guy yeah. from Alpine <laughs> Trio sings that, I'm like, yes, give me more. It's, yeah. It's, it's amazing funny. how that works. It's, it's a funny. delivery yeah. for me. I was just like, these guys yeah. are so serious, but at the same degree, there's like a lev there's like a, a there's lightness like levity. to it. Levity, yeah. exactly. Because they know that they're not those guys who are like super over dramatic on stage. They're just regular people. They're just sort of. Well, not Matt Skiba, not anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, yeah. it's almost like putting on a Halloween costume, you know? They're like, right. yeah, we're going to be No, I definitely get that. For a little bit. You don't have to, you know, it's not like I, the different level of thing. Yeah. It's funny. Um, there was a uh, not to not to make this go on any longer, but uh, this is a great conversation. But uh, th there was this place called Crocodile Rock out here in PA years ago, which is now closed. It's pretty well known for being like Allentown's best and shittiest uh, <laughs> venue because it was the only place to go for a long time. Nice. Um, but I saw um, I forget who they played with, but that was the first time I saw Alkaline Trio play. And I was so excited. You know, uh, Matt Skiba is a uh, like verified like satan like Satanist like license carrying Satanist <laughs> Satanist. And he says he's not actually a Satanist, but he just has a license saying I'm a Satanist. So fantastic. I, okay. So I bought into that because for a little bit, and then realized that he is not. But when he was <laughs> up on stage, they came out. Like they came out and they were wearing like black uniforms with unmarked red armbands. If you know where I'm going with oh, this. Oh yeah. That's so a rough look. I think they, they yeah, looked like I SS. Think I've, yeah, troopers, I think I've seen that. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but then I was also like, cool. <laughs> Not because of I don't think that's what they were going for, but I obviously they were trying to make a statement of some right. sort. Ironic statement, maybe. Yeah, they looked great, but it was not it's very weird. <laughs> like it was, it was yeah. this pre or post My Chemical Romance. Just curious about the uniform. Mm. It was, it was probably around the time. Well, when did a Three Cheers for Sweet I Romance? Was it was two thousand five. Yeah. Five. So it was 03. So it was probably when I brought you my bullets um, had just dropped. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was like 2003, 2004. So it was just 
it was pre big My Chemical Romance, pre breakout. Yeah, My Chemical. They wouldn't Romance, have been in say. their uniform at the time. I wouldn't think it was very. It was right. It was like if they had worn a little white, it would be like Black Parade. Mm. (laughs) interesting yeah the band uniform is always sort of a strange concept to me some bands do it but i don't know it to each their own in the uniform category well i guess that uh brings us to a little bit of uh a couple facts perhaps yes please there's there's not yeah there's not there's not a whole lot but um just some interesting things like uh like antonio said from Hero Infirmary was released uh, in 2001. Um, and at the time, I guess before they went on tour, they wanted to get the attempt to give the album a metal look. And so they wanted to get a couple different pictures to give that kind of look on the on the album cover. Like, we're metal. Like, this is hard shit. You know? <laughs> I love and, the uh, album cover. I'll say yeah. that. It's the best. So yeah. So after they got up, when they got back from the tour, I guess the cover wasn't exactly what they wanted because they were like, oh, like, let's just take some quick pics. And then when they got back, they were like, uh, that's not what we wanted at all. And it was past the deadline for what they needed to pick. So Matt Skiba just was like, use this photo. So like the photo that's on there. And then he was like, uh, and white out our eyes. I think that looked cool. And that was it. He basically was just like, that's neat. <laughs> a last minute idea, but it's super iconic. Yeah, but exactly. Is, exactly. He was just like, yeah, do that. That's good. It's very creepy. Wow. Um, like I said before, uh, critical reaction to the album was mixed uh, and slightly negative. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was defined as a slump for the band and a definite low point in Alkaline Trio's catalog. Jeez. Um, wow. It's it's quote, lighter and mainstream sound, which really doesn't compliment Matt Skiba and Dan Andriano's foul mouth poetry. Uh, which is exactly what we were saying. Like, yeah. makes that band so fucking great. But, yeah. uh, but okay. The exactly. critics, so, uh, okay. So they're know. criticizing exactly what makes the album so good. Yeah. Do y'all find it that much lighter than maybe I'll Catch Fire? I don't. I don't. I think it still has like, it has that pop punk kind of catchy feel, but the lyrics tell something different. It's totally different. Yeah, and it's not like, like it's dark. It's not like the earlier ones are hardcore. They're still pop. No. Punk. Yeah, exactly. They just were like, we want to do something similar and also different. And it, I, I think it personally worked for them. Yeah. So the funny thing is, is that like uh, NME gave it one out of five stars. Punk, Punk News gave it two out of five. Rolling Stone, which now has claimed it to be one of the top 50 best all-time punk rock, punk pop punk albums of all time, gave it one and a half out of five stars. Wow. The so nerve. I think that's interesting to think. The that later on, they're like, we never said that. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, it also, even though it got unfavorable reviews, also reached the top 200 at 199 on the billboard 200 and number nine on uh top independent albums at the time that's pretty much it i just wanted to come i just wanted to put the point across that so many people thought it wasn't good or i shouldn't say so many people i should say a lot of critics uh, big critics thought it wasn't good that's strange because like i would show this album to pretty much anybody 
wouldn't you? Yeah. 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 Or I, I would show yeah, Alkaline sure. Trio to any music fan who's like, oh, I've never heard them. I'd be like, give it a shot. They're very accessible and they're very good yeah. if you there's depth there. Yeah. And, and like that was the launching point because right after that was Good Morning, which I also think is a great album. And of course, right after that was Crimson, which is also another great album of theirs. Mm. Like they had a lot of mm. really good My albums favorite. right in a row. What, what, what came after that? Um, was it? Um, I well, can't... I guess we'll have to look that up real quick. I gotta yeah, be I honest. Can't... I'm as much as I love Alkaline Trio. I only like maybe I'll Catch Fire and From Here to Infirmary. Those are my two. Wow, that's it, huh? I've tried to get into the first one for some reason. It just doesn't come across. God damn it! For some reason, it doesn't stick with me. I'm like, I got hmm. two full albums of Prime Trio. That's enough for me. Interesting. It was. Agony and Irony. Agony and Irony, yeah. That's a great and, album. And then and the other remains. one. What is it? And Remains. And then This Addiction. This Addiction. Okay, yeah. Remains, I think, was just a bunch of like uh, B-sides and stuff like that. Right, right. But yeah, like as far as like studio albums, I, I love like Crimson, Agony and Irony, This Addiction. Just so good. Great albums. Definitely. For, for me. But again, I mean, from here to infirmary, uh, I'm going to give uh, more of a listen, give it a little bit more of a deep dive and, and uh, feel it out more because I, I, I don't want to be too critical of it. I think maybe I came off like I was being too critical, but it is a good album. I will say that. Everyone's got <laughs> yeah. a favorite trio album, you know? Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's and true. mine is definitely Crimson, the hands down, <laughs> without a doubt. Have you tried listening to, to that one? Yeah, I think so. I can't, I think Good Morning, I had a friend who had shown me a bunch of stuff I loved and he was like, dude, you haven't gotten a Good Morning yet, but you liked the two before it. And for some reason, like I said, I felt like yeah, it just didn't capacity. do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Because I do like, I really like these two albums a lot. And so much yeah. so that like, I think the records are more and more rare of this specific album, like on vinyl. And I do have them both. Oh, right. sick. So I was just like, interesting. Yeah. Someday, someday maybe I'll get there. Maybe on a long road trip or something. You're like, now's the time. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for, for being on our show. We really appreciate the time that you spent, you know, sharing your insight and um all of your knowledge in recording mastering and lathe cutting uh i think that our listeners will appreciate everything that you've shared um if you have any words of wisdom that you want to leave us with uh, or anything that you want to plug the floor is yours yeah basically i'll i'll just try to condense lathe cuts down to as short uh, as possible basically if you're trying to make a record and you don't want to go to the pressing plant and spend over a thousand dollars you can come to me and i'll work with whatever you have i'll do my best to get you something you know as high highest quality and looking great uh with artwork but yeah i mean check out lathe cut records uh i offer both stereo cuts and mono cuts if you've heard a lathe cut before the majority of them are mono, um, but I've been making the stereo ones for six years now, and they sound way better. Uh, you can check out my website. Sweet. I just recently had a new pricing platform on my website. Um, so it's audiogeography.com uh, slash store. And essentially, it's just like a regular uh, online merchant. 
you just click the quality of record you want, the size of the record, you add labels, you add packaging, and it spits out the price on the top for each one. You add to cart with your quantity, it spits out the total price with the shipping. So try to make it as simple as possible, but the website's got pictures and audio samples. If you want to hear the difference, there's like four or five different tracks where I do lo-fi, mono cut, and a hi-fi stereo cut on each one so you can uh, compare. But yeah, I want to help you make your next record. Sweet. There you have it, everyone. Thank you again, Tyler. Really appreciate it. Thank you both. This was great. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone. Follow us on Instagram at Taste of Vinyl and on Twitter at Taste Vinyl. And remember, you can never own too much vinyl. Later, guys. See ya. See ya.